This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, are you doing flat rate, salary, or a hybrid model? What are the pros and cons to all three? From the Aftermarket Radio Network, it's Carm Capriato. Now, my panel today brings light to this hot topic from different perspectives. The consensus from the group is that there's no cookie-cutter model on pay plans. You must factor in your culture and your team. Obtain some great insight from today's panel. Hey, thanks to our partner Shopware and Delphi Technologies. Now, why wait until the end of the month for your accountant to tell you how things turned out? With advanced analytics, you can compare any metric anytime so you don't need to guess. It's all part of Shopware.com. Hey, when you turn to Delphi Technologies for your chassis needs, quality is at the forefront. Material and dimensional enhancements as well as 700 hours worth of salt spray testing goes into each and every chassis part produced. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com and see over 8,000 chassis SKUs that Delphi has in stock for you. Dave Shadeen, coach and mentor from CompuTrek Automotive Solutions. Hello, Dave. Hi, great to be here again, Carm, and talking about such a an easy topic to talk about. Well, yes, and everyone here I know is going to have a good time talking about this because you each have your passion in a particular area of this debate. By the way, just to let you know, Dave and Carla were on an episode from just seven weeks ago. Uh, we talked about incentive pay for technicians. It was June 2022. And oh, by the way, guys, this whole thing came out of it. And so I reached out to them and I said, would you come back on and do this? And Brian Kelly was with us, but he happens to be in some crazy place in Mexico right now and he couldn't make it. So Jeffrey came in in his place from Car Smart Auto Service in Sumner, Washington. Hello, Jeffrey. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And uh, the, the podcast's biggest fan, Carlo Zabuco, second generation sales complete auto car care, Oakville, Ontario. Hello, Carlo. Afternoon, Carm. Afternoon, everyone. And one final thought, guys. The uh, the Apex Shop Owner of the Year, Service Advisor and or Technician of the Year. The awards are open AAPEXshow.com slash service awards. August 31st is, is the ending date. So uh, please, I know you know somebody in the industry that would be very honored to get this and, and are deserving of it. Okay. Flat rate. Many in the industry are not in a networking group or coaching group. They struggle in so many ways. They don't know what they don't know. The dis- uh, I'm hoping that this discussion opens up the debate of flat rate and salary incentive type programs. Some shop owners have problems managing flat rate or salary and have people that they can't hire or leave because of their pay program. And I've been in networking groups enough to see that when this discussion happens, I see a lot of learning and a lot of leaning because they maybe don't want to they wouldn't want to face it. If anyone wanted to change their current pay play plan, they would not know how or when to do it. And I'm uh, looking forward to this extremely lively debate. Carlo, I want to go to you first. The debate over flat rate, Carlo, versus hourly will never end, you've told me. And you've discussed this numerous times. I know you're very passionate about it. I'd love you to start uh, that text, love it or hate it, right? You know, after the last podcast, after we were done the show, you know, my last parting words to Brian were the system and the process is evil. Before I speak any further, to preface it by 30 years, I've seen everything, seen every program, read everything. And as long as the shop wins, the employee wins, and the customer wins, whatever pay program you have, as long as everybody's winning, that's what's most about it. The challenge is, is why I don't like the system or the program is there's too many shops that you run into that go or are told to go to the flat rate pay system to fix problems in the shop. Gets me pretty frustrated, pretty upset when someone says, oh, go flat rate. And I'm like, they have no idea how to run the flat rate system. They throw the techs under the bus. They're just uneducated shop owners who are being told to go through and run a flat rate type program. And we also get this from some educational sources within our industry. And the shops aren't equipped for it. And try being an owner sitting in the hiring seat when you're trying to hire techs and we're telling them about flat rate, you may just turn the person away because, well, we pay flat rate 
or, you know, I was educated in this business to call it performance-based pay. It's the same sort of thing. We're just spinning it with a different name. So I'm not saying it's a bad program. I'm saying the way we use flat rate in various shops out there is giving it a really bad name. And that's what I really have a, a real problem with. To go back in history, flat rate has been tried to cure things, and it's it was never meant to cure inefficiencies. It's meant to give a open a doorway called abundance, a doorway called a workman's worthy of their wages, which means I got a guy who's on top of the game, has a passion, desire, who wants to produce 12, 15, 16 hours a day or more. And hourly would scare them away in the interview process. And I've even had that. I had a guy walk in once. And in fact, I ended up hiring him. I did move from an hourly thinking mindset. And I had to really analyze that in my shop. And it took me a while to come off of the soapbox of hourly way is the most ethical, moral thing you can do for your customers and shop because flat rate rips people off. Well, I went down that journey. Where did I get that thinking and that belief system from? And here's what I found is that flat rate was created in a the dealership environment originally and flat rate because the warranty time would only pay an hour when it would take two and the dealerships didn't want to pay that. You know, they didn't want to pay the the tech two hours when it takes one. So they created flat rate. And now the best tool in a quote unquote dealership warranty environment, the best tool for a tech is this pen. What kind of story could you write? And now that lends to, you know, if you want more money, you got to, you got to write your story and some of the stories weren't true. And so it lends into lying and it lends into the dark side of what happened in flat rate. And now carry forward, we bring that into the independent realm. And now we have a fear-based thinking around an abundance mindset and there's a conflict with it. That's why we have an argument around it. I would never hold somebody back from being able, they produce 12 hours, 15 hours, they get it. And on the other side, we have people who, when we hire them, They've come in with a fear-based, you know what, I want security. I want a hope and a future, but I want security in that. And some technicians, I got to know that I'm going to get paid. Here's the illusion of hourly. Hourly says that, well, I'm going to get paid eight hours no matter what I do. In fact, you know what, I can screw up on the car. I can mess up and I get to do the job again. I get paid twice for that. What's well, one of the holes of hourly. One of the misconceptions of hourly, though, And I experienced this. I started this industry at a dyno tuning shop in North Seattle. I was paid hourly because that was the moral ethical thing to do. I was that was grilled into me as a as a young heart at age 19. And so that's what I thought was the best way to do it. That flat rate rips people off, yada, yada, yada. Well, guess what? In three or four years, the the dad retired, sons took over the business. They weren't businessmen. And now it went from being booked two weeks out to, hey, Dave, call the day before you come in and see if we even have work for you. There was no guarantee of hourly. There's a misconception that hourly gives you a guarantee. There's no work in a good managed shop. After half an hour, no work standard in case something comes in, you're going home. You're just going home. I just Shops just can't afford to pay that. It's not there. So coming back to the flat rate side, I want to open the door to a conversation around abundance mindset, the possibility to earn more. And yet I don't want to close the door on security. And so there's what, and Carlo had emailed me about this, and I've said this for years, there's kind of a hybrid of that where you have an hourly base and that hourly base mindset, this is my belief, should be, you know what, I want to make sure my employees are taken care of. So what's a base, either call it a salary or a base wage, however you want to calculate it. What's a good fair monthly rent in your area? A thousand, fifteen hundred bucks or a mortgage, you know, what is that? You know, fifteen hundred, two grand. What's a good fair mortgage? What's enough food on the table? What's enough for a car payment? And what's enough for gas to get back and forth to work, including car insurance? What's their bare minimum physical overhead they need? That's their base. They want more in life. They get to go create now. I took care of the security. The bills are going to be paid. But now that's not a great livelihood. That's not a retirement plan. That's not saving up for vacations, the rest of that. Now I create the space so that they can actually go get and create more. I want to jump in there, Dave. One of the things I heard you say was the automotive industry back in the dealer world creating flat rate. And, you know, I believe that, but also other industries have been using flat rate for years. Roofers, siders, sheetrockers, you know, it's called piecework. They get paid by the piece. And, you know, when uh, I was uh, in high school looking to find a trade, you know, whether I wanted to be a carpenter or whatever, heard these roofers, you know, back in 1984 were making 60, 70, 
you know, $1,000 a year with no formal education and asked them how they did it. And they go, oh, we get paid on the square. You know, we do a square. That's how much we get paid. And I asked simple questions. What do you do when there's no work? He said, well, we don't get paid. I kind of understood a little bit about it, but back to the automotive industry, when I look at it is we just reverse engineer it at our shop. Like, hey, if we were going to run this model, the uh, performance-based pay, I love how you said that, Carlo, or flat rate or piecework, then what does that look like in the bottom line? In the four wins, right? So we do employee, you know, customer, company, but also vendor. What does it look like to attract, you know, quality vendors? And so we don't set out to, to point it all out, all those four wins, as Brian Kelly would say, but at the same time, reverse engineering. So my point is, is that it may not work. I can set the whole shop up for flat rate. And for some reason, the systems we have, whatever, there's barriers. Maybe I don't want to overcome those. I don't want to invest in it, the tracking of it, whatever you want. Then maybe we fold and say, you know, we're going to hire hourly employees. But the techs that we have now, it wasn't the first three techs we hired. It's been a process to get the three flat rate techs that we have now to 100% buy in to our systems. And the reverse engineering I wanted to bring up was this. So we have three Zeus scan tools instead of one. I don't want them running around chasing them. You know, we have two AC machines, both 134A. We have one YF. You know, we have three brake flush machines. These are huge investments uh, that we didn't make all at once. And we continue to pour into where they don't have to run as far to get things. I shortened their track. Their racetrack is shorter. The things that they need. And it's been quite an investment. But I can tell you, it is nice when three techs on a great week can bill 180 hours. You know, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time to Carlos point when we were talking earlier. That's just the, the high end of it. So when I look at their potential, I look at their average and I look at their efficiencies for us right now, it seems to be working. Everybody's, you know, seems to be getting paid on a performance uh, kind of level. It's scary if I put all the weight into we're just going to go to a performance based pay because that's the cure. Like you were saying, that that's just a, a horrible way for me to look at it. If I'm not managing the numbers or letting the numbers, you know, dictate what we, we do as far as keeping good health, it's a challenge. And I think it's all a risk. Like you said, you know, it's great having all these hourly guys around, you know, because they're loyal. But as soon as the light switch goes off that day and there's no cars, you're going home. I don't think there's this huge debate to me. I think it's, does this roofing company want to run it per piece, piece work for their employees? Or do they want to run it hourly? Because they do both. In that industry, they can run your business both ways. For us, what we've seen is this is the best way to incentivize them in our quality level, which is kind of the lie here, the myth in our industry is if they go too fast, then there's too many mistakes. They found their ceiling. You know, for our guys, it's about 158, 165% efficiency. That's as far as they're willing to go. They won't push that ethically for themselves because they feel they make more mistakes. And so when we look at our comeback rate is very, very, very small. We're grateful for the men having good discernment and not going crazy. I want to go through seven cars today. I'm going to get five hours per. I'm going to have monster paycheck. Well, that could happen. We're grateful that they've developed these ceilings and limitations that they're only going to go so fast. And the group that we have now, obviously, they're high performers for sure. Carlo, you pointed something out in the emails and talking points about how shop owners just don't understand how to manage, whether it's hourly or flat rate. As a coach, I see this all the time. And Jeff, you said something that addresses that, you know, because you have a good understanding. I love your phraseology there of shorten the racetrack. You put flat rate in place or performance-based pay, you got a tool to, to that. You got to make that happen. You can't have, you know, the battery tester printer 40 feet away. You got to have one for everybody. You need to have the tools in place that supports that system. The hourly mindset is the same thing. And I just based on results, coaching now for 16, 17 years now, I go into shops that are in hourly. I was a top producing tech myself. I managed my shop hourly at Dave's Auto Repair. I started off hourly. And it was in a group process, some were hourly, some were performance-based pay. And I was challenged in that and said, Dave, you know what? You're only one decision away from jumping from, and my tech efficiency was averaged 118% on hourly. And I had a little over 2% comeback rate. So I didn't think that was too bad. You know, that's pretty good. The national average for comeback, keep it 2% or below. And I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit higher in that. I had a couple of, you know, an apprentice and a half soda. And so when I moved to performance-based pay, here's what happened. Within 45 days, I jumped to 168% efficiency. 
and my comebacks went down. And I see that all the time. When I go out to a shop now, I very rarely will see an hourly based shop produce more than 125%. In fact, I haven't seen one yet as a shop overall average. You might have one tech that's doing the 150 and he gets special bonuses and stuff, but you know what you're doing? You're in the performance-based pay. Workman's worthy of his wages. I've seen shops where the apprentice is on an hourly, but it's a strategic hourly, which means they start showing them the pay. You know, if you're making 30 bucks an hour, eight hours a day, 253 days a year, you know what? That's a little over 60 grand. But you go to performance-based pay and have the mindset of abundance and you step into 150% mindset and the team is 150% mindset. It's not just the tech. It's got to be the advisors, the owners, the marketing, the tools, the equipment, the shop layout, the workflow systems all have to tie into that. So to speak to Carlo's point, the owner's got to know what to do. And if they don't, bring somebody in who can. But a technician making at 150% including 90% productivity. So he's only not working eight hours a day. He's working 7.2 times 150 is 10.8 hours a day. And now he went from 60 grand a year to 83 grand a year, 22 to 23 grand more a year. That's like 17, 1800 bucks a month. Put that in front of a young man who's going to, we're going to say, hey, this is a great industry to be in. By the way, here's a career path where we actually want to see you get to the close where you're 125 to $150,000 a year. And if we're not going to put out their incentive plans, they got to produce. But if we're not going to put an incentive plan out there where they can make that 150 grand a year, we will forever have technician shortages. Hey, stop guessing and get working on the next car or the opportunity to buy a second shop. Now, once you can see through the fog of numbers coming at you all day, you use less brain power to make better decisions. Start with reading the gauges on every bay and every tech with Shopware's Capacity Dashboard. Now, it makes it easy to see where you can squeeze in one more repair. Then, get an overview of every business metric in your shop. Build your reports your way so the numbers that drive you jump out at you whenever you need them. Even if you add more shops to your operation, all the numbers end up consolidated by location or any way you want to slice and dice them. You're in control every step of the way, customizing as you go. Get a clear view. Get more profits. Get Shopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Is there an incentive the higher the efficiency is? Yeah, I mean, uh, we want to get people excited about numbers. You know, we want them to get excited about what they're producing. It's no different than somebody working in a warehouse that gets a, a quarterly bonus for having perfect attendance. I mean, it seems trivial, but I've worked in warehouses where if you had perfect attendance, you got part of the profit sharing. If you, uh, you know, didn't take sick days uh, in excess, all these things. And so working on uh, automobiles is very similar where they get excited about their efficiencies. And then I belong to a management group where we're able to see our whole group, what other techs are doing across the North America and they're able to see how they stack up against uh, other shops. It, it isn't a, so much a, just 100% competitive like a horse race. It's really about kind of see where their skills. Right now, I, I have three uh, A-level master technicians, ASE master technician. And so they're comparing their numbers to other high qualified technicians. And so I think that's part of the answer to what you asked. The other thing is I want them to get excited about their quality of life. Uh, again, we sit down with each employee and say, hey, what's your bare minimum? I can't guarantee that. I mean, it's kind of an out for me. 
of course, I'm willing probably to Carlos point, if I have to put a pay package together where I say, I guarantee you 30 hours a week, or I guarantee, you know, I'll do that, you know, to retain good help. But I guess the biggest thing is to always know what they're, I got to make this, but man, I really want to make that. How do we make that happen? And Mm -hmm. I still think there's other ways to do it besides flat rate. It's not the end all beat all. I'm not here saying that. But for us, when we sat down and it comes from the owner mindset too. So as a tech, I was always flat rate. I've never worked in an hourly shop except when I was a tire buster early on. So for me, I I understand and see, but I also saw the negative side of it, which was uh, people taking advantage of it or some places I worked, they didn't track it correctly. There was always this tension at payday. Mm -hmm. You'd open up your pay stub and go, I had more. We have tried to eliminate that by going over everybody's where you're at, we have a dashboard on our point of sale system. They know exactly where they're at. And if there's a discrepancy, I got that one week waiting period before they get their check to talk about it. They'll go, hey, Jeff, I noticed on our software, it says I only flagged, you know, 143 hours for two weeks. I know I got 145. Here's one of the things. Oh, cool. So see, we're kind of self-regulating some of the points that were hard to understand in flat rate. And the other thing is, is just to be honest with you, we don't believe in parity. We don't believe that everybody gets a little bit of everything. It's like, you know what? The big dog eats first. That's the lead tech. We have one lead tech and then everybody else gets what's going on. But the good news is, is that that was talked about at the interview for everybody that worked us. This is how it works. And the great thing is, is if it doesn't work out, we're still open-minded to saying, well, maybe this one's going to be hourly. Maybe they are. Maybe they're just really good. They have a niche. They do this part of the system well. We can still make it work. Totally open-minded because there is a shortage. We are going to do everything we can to retain people. Right now, we are living in a world where all of our techs are flat rate. Jeff, your shop, is a general all makes all models or is it a specialty shop? Good question. It's all make all models. The tagline is lawnmowers to semi-trucks. You know, one of the things I found with the flat rate system, Matt made the comment, I saw it pop up in the Facebook comment there, and I have a tendency to agree with that. You know, when we talk about, okay, flat rate came from the dealer, I think flat rate works in the dealer environment. My 13, 14, 17 mil wrench sits on the trolley all day long if I work at an import dealership. I can make the times over time. In a general repair shop, you know, from a technician standpoint, I've spent enough time on the floor, like many of us, you know, if I'm doing steering suspension brakes, I'll take flat rate as a, as a pay structure. You know, feed me that type of work. But if you start me off with rear brakes on an electronic Volvo and then throw me on a BMW oil seal and then put me over to an electric vehicle and expect flat rate times and me to hit my 10 hours, 12 hours billable per day, I think that's a bit of a challenge that we're expecting from our technicians. I have a general tech and he always gets his times. The guy is 62 years old. He books over 40 hours every week, but we feed him general repairs. But the guys who are doing the more technological, the more advanced, the more thinking, I really struggle as an owner. And you, Jeff, you put it perfectly in the notes. It's always needs prodding and to produce higher results than a flat rate shop, the owner's responsibility and owner's job. And I fully agree with that because... If I was flat rate in my facility, I wouldn't really be too bothered. But because I'm not, I as an owner really have to step up my leadership and my management and focus on my advisors and watch this place really carefully to make sure it produces. But I also understand when I'm a tech wrenching on the floor and I'm doing something, I'm going, how the hell am I supposed to beat book time on this? I've only done one of these in the last six months. And then my next car is a completely different car. Yeah. So I have a struggle with that. Maybe I'm feeling for the techs more, but you know, I got an EV downstairs and yeah, okay, it's 1.5, two hours, whatever you want to do for a flat rate time for diagnostics. It's an EV. It takes like 30 minutes, 40 minutes just to get sort of set up and then get into it. So how is the advisor building that time out? And when we talk about all these efficiency numbers, I've seen enough shops where it's not a tech. It's not a fast tech. Your tech is not producing 10 hours. He's not focused. It's a service advisor up front who's magical with his pen and paper. And he's selling the 10 hours. But the tech is just a tech, just like everybody else. He hasn't got the speed. He hasn't got the poise. He's a good tech. But you have an amazing service advisor up at the front office that's making it happen. So when you look at tech efficiencies and we look at all these tech data numbers... Your tech is just like every other tech, but you have an amazing service advisor at the front. And then other shops, I see, well, put them on flat rate. 
it's not a tech problem. Don't put them on flat rate. It's the guy up at the front counter who's causing the problems because he ain't selling the work. Yeah, I would say you want to pair the amazing with the amazing. So if I have the amazing advisor and ethical, we got to say ethical, it's got to be fit for the customer. We have to be able to run our business where it can be audited by the local radio station or news station, right? We can't just have this gouging. And uh, so we have uh, amazing up front. How do we uh, get that person paired with amazing tech? And and my definition of an amazing tech is an ethical tech that is uh, say, hey, for me to diagnose this EB vehicle with the current market standards and the tools uh, that we have available in the time crunch you need, I'm going to need three hours. And here's how that benefits the customer. And so we don't have to make the second call. If you hit a home run in an hour, we're we're not gouging. That's kind of a short version of it. And then if he's weak in this area, I'm not going to feed him that stuff all the time. I need to give it to him piecemeal until he gets up to speed, set the expectation right away. Hey, we're going to convert over to 20% EV in the next year, which means we got to have all of us are going to have to get trained in this. So that's kind of a short way, Carlo, that I look at it is, is like uh, they all don't get hammered with that seal on the BMW. We do have a guy that's better than the rest, 100%. Right now, I'm looking at my tech efficiencies, and I would say that even when we spread that around, the next tech will lose a little bit of efficiency. But, you know, if he's on his game, he'll gain it somewhere else. There's not a perfect answer, but I always I love what you said. I got an amazing guy up front. Then I'm going to pair him up with an amazing guy in the back, even if it's just one tech. Maybe that, that advisor just gets that one tech for a while. So the business model can work. How do I pair up and get everybody amazing? I think is a lot of work, but it, it, to us, it's paid off. I think to speak to that, Jeff, to use your language, to shorten the racetrack, the concept of that is really supporting the tech in all three aspects. And a lot of shops have not figured this out. You have three labors in your shop. You got Diag, PM, and Repair. And your systems are typically addressing conventional coaching and training that's been out there is they address a labor and they glump them all together. Diagnostics is done at two for one, which means if a tech's in an hour, you charge two, he's in at two, you charge four. How do you language that at the counter is exactly right. You need to have the ability where your advisors grow into the rock star if they're not already there. And you set the, the diag rate up so that you are at two for one ethical, moral. We say two for one and we manage diagnostics using our increments. But in reality, it's about a high tech test. Early 80s, I've had migraines. I went to a doctor, cost me 76 bucks, didn't have an insurance at the independent shop I was at. I paid 76 bucks. At the time, I'm making five bucks an hour. How many hours did it take me to, to pay for that bill? A lot. He says, I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm going to send you to a specialist. I go to, and that was an hour visit at that doctor. I go have an MRI done. And he he signs his form saying, I'm not going to sue him if it blows my brain up or whatever. He didn't know I didn't have insurance because nobody has an MRI that doesn't have insurance because you can't afford it. Why is that? Because I got a bill two weeks later for $3,700. Was it about the hour time? No, it was a high tech test and a high skilled technician running that, interpreting what that means to the doctor who could then give me my report. And so when you set your diag up at two for one, your repair up at 135, you use a labor matrix to do that, a bunch of different ways for that. And then you set your preventative maintenance up at 150% efficiency and you can systemize your business. So it doesn't matter if a, if an A-level advisor or a C-level advisor puts your preventative maintenance can jobs on the repair order, the chances of them going out there and coming back at 150 are huge. So you systemize your labor so that when you go to a performance-based pay, and there's a part of me that still loves to have the security of an hourly base. And so I'll talk a little bit about hybrids. Carl wanted to know hybrids in that. Let's say you pay a guy 30 bucks an hour and he gets 30 bucks an hour up to 40. As soon as he goes from 40.01 to 45, he gets another two bucks an hour. And then as soon as he gets 45.01 to 50, he gets another two bucks an hour. And you keep going up on that. Some shops will do a hybrid of that. They'll pay just the hours over 40 at that higher wage. Or they read to it to all the hours that they produced. I'm personally of abundance mindset, pay them for all of them. I had another shop um, a little over a year ago introduce something. I have been trying to think about, strategize a consistency bonus because we want consistency. You know, we talk about the hours that, you know, gosh, I got two techs that produced, you know, 180, 190 hours. Well, that's awesome. But can they do that week in and week out? And so now this particular shop, they put a consistency bonus in, which means every week after two weeks, you produce 51 week, 50 the next week, and you get a $2 an hour raise for all your hours. If you do it three weeks in a row, you get another $2 and it goes all the way up to up to six bucks an hour. So you do it five weeks in a row, 
50 hours or more, that's a consistency. All your hours are paid at another up to six bucks more an hour. And the GP dollars off of that, it totally pays for it. Structured right, you got to really build your labor rate right for that. And your advisors have the ability to sell $175 to $200 an hour labor rate or more, which, by the way, our industry, hate to say it, but if you're not at $200, you better get there quick because the high techness of what's coming, what's going to cost you, and what it takes to have and bring in master level techs who really, they typically, they, they should be approaching the 50 60 bucks an hour. Um, I won't go down that road, but structure the labor inside to support even an hourly mindset. You structure an hourly mindset around the three labor types, how I said to set it up there. There's a whole bunch of details that go to how to set that up. But when you set that up, your hourly, you'll typically boost another 10 to 15 percent right off the get go because you structured correctly and you presented at the front to the advisors how to sell an efficient hour. It really takes a different mindset from the front of the building to the back of the building. And if we just focus on just a pay plan, we've only looked at one little square on one side of a 16-sided Rubik's Cube called an auto repair shop. It's one of those cases where I get how we're talking about dollars and cents. And, you know, you know me, the squirrel wheels rolling in the inside here. I see some of the comments coming up and I'm going, I agree with these people at the bottom. And I'm going, we're talking GP dollars and, and different labor rates. And it's true that doesn't help the tech because we're talking profitability. But hours for the tech is, okay, two for one. Are all shops going to do that? Are the advisors going to do that? And are they going to, and someone said, you know, I'll try to find amazing people. I agree with that, you know, uh, 80, 20 rule, you know, 20% of our industry is amazing. 80% are just, you know, average. And Jeff's right with the statistics of techs across the industry. I've watched those numbers in our group forever. 38 hours, 38 hours, 62 amazing shops across Canada. And it's 38 hours is the average. Some are more, some are less. I've been with you for my entire life in this career almost. Feels like it. And I've watched the numbers. You know I'm a numbers person. 38 is the average typical tech. So when we look at flat rate versus hourly, I completely agree with the hours. I understand the dollars and cents and the shop owner's profitability of it. But from a tech standpoint, if they're flat rate, go to it. But you got to have people up in the front my concern is the shops who don't have the people, they don't have three brake fluid flush machines and three scan tools, right. and they're throwing flat rate at the back shop. 15 years ago, I was a flat rate shop. I did what I was told. I went flat rate. What I got was a guy who would cut every single corner possible to hit his billable hours <clears throat> and caused me to end up having to fire him and, and say, this just doesn't work. You know, still today, I'd look and go, I need to get flat rate to get these guys motivated. And I'm going... No, we have a motivational plan. It just needs better leadership, better prodding, better management. And sometimes I know more managers who just don't want to do that. And that's a challenge with let's go flat rate. No, 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 no. You need to be a better leader and a better manager in your shop and make it work. So I get the whole tiered aspect. I'm not us. We always sort of deal with things, but some guys are just, they love flat rate. I'd have to see the mix of the work that they're doing because I'd want to be a flat rate tech if I was the steering suspension brake guy at the dealership. Yeah, I would uh, love to see that too in any shop. If I was looking at your numbers, Carlo, and I saw an area where I'm like, oh my goodness, how does he do that? Same thing where I want to know how you're doing it. I want to know what work you're feeding or, or so forth. I think for me though, the flat rate won't work if we're not all going to the same direction. 100%. I'm not going to wear that shirt that says flat rate only. What I'm going to say is like, I had to flip my role. If we're going to do flat rate, my time and energy is going to be consumed in and then fill in those blanks. And I had to see, is my net going to be where it needs to be? Are we going to grow? Are we going to move? And as soon as there's a no, and let, if I can overcome that with, with some you know suggestions or coaching, great. If I can't, guess what? We don't get to do that. We, we just don't. You know, I look at the Facebook groups. I spend a lot of time in there. I look at, oh, we're on flat rate. And I'm like, so what do you pay? Do you pay them when they're not working? Oh, yeah, we pay them a, a different wage when they're not. That's not flat rate. Correct. That's, I agree. That's a tiered hourly. So don't tell me that you're putting it on flat rate. Well, we pay $38 for every billable hour they do, but we pay 32 hours for, you know, e-time or off. What's well, an hourly rate? You're not flat rate. Flat rate is you only get like, you know, some of the chain companies up here. You only put out three hours that day. That's all you're getting. Sit on yeah. your toolbox until five o'clock and hope and pray. That's a flat rate that I believe that version is dead and gone. Here's a different 
perspective as well. And this is a Davism. I believe it's up to the owner to bring to the tech, every tech, every day, four hours with a possibility of work. Their marketing, the systems in place should always attract four hours per tech. But then I hired these people to create increase. I hired techs to find it. I hired advisors to sell it. And I paid for software that can pre-sell it. I'm paying for things to make their job easier. And yet they still don't step up to the plate. And I've seen advisors who, nice people, great people, friendly, they smile. And the customers love them. And one of the reasons the customers love them is because they never say no. Oh, can you lower the price? Sure. Can you not do that? Sure. And meanwhile, the advisor's loving approach just short-lived the vehicle. It's not that rock star, but they're nice and they're friendly. And so when you systemize everything, it's the responsibility with a reasonable expectation. Team, I just need you to sell four hours per tech. Techs will find it. I'm going to give you four hours because order taking is 1.5 hours for a pair order. And so you get about three to four ROs a day. I'm going to bring that car count to you. So when we talk about these valleys that happen, I'm doing my part. There's typically not a valley in car counts. Did I have them when I first opened my shop? Yeah. Did I learn what it takes to overcome that? Yeah. But guys, I, I brought you the work. It's up to you now. There's a valley in our hours, not in car count. There's a valley in our hours. Now it's up to you to go do this. And it's on your shoulders and your responsibility. That's why I hired you. It's the hiring process to really set up their livelihood. At the end of the day, it's still about this, though. It's a hope and a future. It's not just the pay. Jeff talked about before, and there's another whole doorway to open up love language. <laughs> but if that text is love language is time, hey, you know what? You get to this level, you get a half a day off paid with pay. You get to take time off. And so there's a lot of different mindsets that go there. But if it's not going to be a front to the back of the store, all in, and you throw a flat rate at it, you're going to create a cramp, a hamstring, or you might even cut off a leg because the lead tech left because of that. Yeah. Let me jump in on that, Dave. One of the things, Carla, that was my hamster, you know, I have a hamster wheel, you're a squirrel wheel. So you're, yours is probably faster than mine. Squirrels are faster than hamsters. But my hamster wheel is actually going where I remember some roadblocks we had. When we go to flat rate, this is when we were open. This is when the tech started. This is when we need them to stay. You know, all these things. This is what we changed. We gave all the techs keys to the building. They have their own security code. They're able to come in as early as 6 a.m. if that's where they're motivated to. So they get to kind of come and go as they please. There's an accountability to it. Minimum is we need you to start by 7.30. Shops open at 9 or 8 o'clock, rather. But that's so that's the accountability. We need you to stay till at least 4 minimum, you know, as long as there's work. But what we find is we have one tech, and I, I get an alert when the alarm goes off in the building. He loves to start at 6 a.m. And he likes to leave at 3.30, 4 o'clock. And he's flagging his time. That's his love language. That's what he wants to do. Another guy that uh, he likes to start at 7.15 and he wants to leave at 4.15 if he can. So he arranges his day as far as his performance base and how he's doing, right? Of course, we got to give him the cars. You know, it's, this formula doesn't work, Carla, without giving him the cars. Yeah, you know, I got to give him the cars. And what I'm finding is, is they're able to kind of work together um, to understand what their needs. And it took me a long time to understand my role was to get to know them, pay attention to them, see what they like, and not for any other reason to acclimate to like, cool. So Carl is my lead tech. There's a couple of things Carl doesn't like. He doesn't like it when I come in and go over and start, you know, shooting the breeze with him while he's working on a European car. He hates that. I just know to come in a whole different door. It sounds, uh, you know, idiotic, but I do. I just come in a different door and talk to the other two techs first. He'll see me and go, hey, Jeff, you know, like that. So where I'm going with it is, is we're working within his system, not the tail wagging the dog. But what we're doing is we're like, cool, if we want to do this, I need to see some performance out of you. So it's a lot of work for me. It's different. I will tell you that um, at any time, if we need to change it to hourly, because that's going to benefit the team as a whole. We talked about those wins, Carl. I'm on board. I'm calling you and go, hey, how are you doing it? Like, I I'm going to have to switch. Question, guys, how important is that service advisor to all of this working? I'll start there. 
the most efficient person in the building has got to be the advisor. It's got to be the efficient phone answering, the efficient appointment, the efficient drop-off, the efficient prepping the repair order. If he's not efficient or she's not efficient at that level, at a level 10 up front, you cannot expect your techs to be at 150 to 200% efficient. It just will not happen. Your advisor, in one sense, is one of the critical roles. If they can't sell it, they can't produce it. If they can sell it, now we got a production issue where we can't produce it. Now we look at, okay, now does flat rate make sense? Does the motivation make sense? Is hiring the right people? You know, I think the advisor is such a key critical role and it's beyond just good customer relationships. They have to be entrepreneurial in mindset. They have to have a flat rate mindset and a flat rate mindset. I'm going to replace that word now with they have to have an abundance mindset and the most abundance mindset they need to have is how do I build maximum trust with my customer? And it ain't lowering the price. It ain't holding back on services. How do I build the maximum abundance trust with my customers? Because once you do that, now your shop is going to rock at 150% efficiency. If you don't have trust, you're not going to have those high efficiencies. Yeah, that's good. I like it. So if we do reverse one way for in the shop, why is the tech doing the inspection? You know, when he's diagnosing, why are we telling him, hey, part of your role is at this pay rate is you need to type in your story. You need to type it very accurate, use good grammar spelling. It's going right on the work order. Here it is. When we look at that, their expectation, or we've taught them, hey, the reason we need you to do thorough safety inspections and be honest about what you find and what it needs is, is because we're at the front counter, the advisors, we're going to present it to the customer in an honest, ethical, and actually this is probably your needs. Your needs are safety first like that. If you'd like, we can do the whole thing. So we're telling them this is why you do what you do. So when now when the advisor gets a quality piece of information from the technician, the expectation has already been set. Like they're giving you this. Now, here's the big thing in our industry that I've always seen that drove me crazy was the advisor holds back because this tech can't do this well or whatever. They get clouded with that when, hey, look, present it to the customer. Let's get it back out in the shop. I'll take care of it. So the expectation is when it goes back out in the shop is what? That they're not going to give it to a tech that's going to come back an hour later and say, by the way, it needs this, it needs this, it needs it. You know what right. I mean? It's, those things happen, but the trust level has to build on both of them and they both have to give. They need more training. They have to invest in their industry, the advisor. They have to continue to be open-minded to things that we give and put in their path. And if they don't, if they're not constantly improving their ability for customer service, um, how to relate to customers and the things that they need, then we're going to lose all that trust on the tech. That's just always been what we see. Easier said than done. Super, super hands-on owner stuff for long, long periods of time. But unless there's light at the end of the tunnel, it's tough. So again, it's a trade for me. I see an alignment between the pay and incentive plan for the service advisor and the technicians. There's got to be some kind of connection there. Build hours is one. I mean, it's a number. It's not everything. Build hours, we're all trying to reach uh, certain goals again. So uh, like Carl said, you know, we've got to have some wins going on for everybody. Obviously, customers always involved in that. And so when we look at the incentive plan is based on the same matrix, the same set of numbers. I mean, some of it's tweaked a little bit, you know, tiny bit, but we're all on the same goal. It's not gross sales. I mean, those are nice numbers, but what we're really after is like, hey, let's incentivize people on the same track. Maybe not the exact same matrix, but the same track. So they feel it. So the advisors or the techs are taking paychecks to the bank that are using wheelbarrows instead of bicycles. You know, how, how do we do it the same for everybody, including the owner? You know, we got to keep that net where it's at. So. There were some comments about uh, just the top shop operators are watching this. And so, okay, say that is the truth. How do we grab everyone else and bring them over the line? Well, I think what we do is we share this, even though it's very much a great perspective from two top shop operators and a great industry business coach. Someone would listen to this and say, I like that. I don't like that. I'm still stuck in the middle. I don't know what to do. What's working, what's not? It seems to me that this isn't a do-it-yourself kind of decision. <clears throat> it's almost like you need some help. Uh, yeah, I guess you could rely on an individual peer in your network, Jeff, Carlo, to say, hey, uh, let me give you a hand. Or maybe this is the real reason you need to get yourself uh, a business coach. 
I think shop owners need to get an assessment on themselves and their business. You know, I jumped flat rate because, hey, that's which direction I was educated. And then I implemented and it just didn't work. And then it was a, okay, what's wrong with the owner? Okay, so leadership training, need some better sales training because I was an owner and advisor. I was working both ends of the business. And I and a tech. And and a tech. I was doing a lot of balls. I was like a lot of shop owners, you know, three techs, four bays, just trying to make money. And implemented flat rate and didn't have all the processes in place. And I look at a lot of shops and I think it starts with the owner, the business, the equipment, the tooling, the training. It's like a little checkbox. And a lot of shops who don't know what they're talking about, telling other shops to go flat rate is the first problem. And then I think another problem is a lot of trainers in the industry who think flat rate is the solution without going through and doing a proper check right. and balance in the shop first before saying that's the fix. I'm probably going to get a lot of bad emails on that, but that's the reality of it is I hear a lot of trainers in all these different Facebook groups saying, oh, you got to go flat rate. That's what's going to motivate them. Really? You have no idea about that shop and how many other people are reading that saying, well, I should go flat rate because that's how you're going to get 52 billable hours or 58 billable hours a week. And some other guys, yeah, I'm making 60 billable hours a week. I'm like, what shop do you work for? What systems, what process, what things do you have in place? So it's, it's like one of the things popped up there on the bottom of the screen. We need to educate the owner mm-hmm. and take a pause before we start jumping on the bandwagon about which way we want to go. And every day as an owner, I'll speak for myself. I look out of my shop and I go, I should go flat rate because <laughs> that's what's going to motivate these guys. Mm-hmm. And every day I go, no, you need to get to be a better leader. Because you've got the right pay plan, you've got the right people, you need to give your head a shake and go improve your leadership skills and not just throw it back out there and be a flat rate type shop. And I am a productive shop. I can get my guys to do what they got to do. I always find it as a way out for going through and saying that's what I should do. Yeah, It's a challenge. But I think assessment of the shop before you go on whatever pay plan you want to do. And we said this in the last episode, don't make the pay plans complicated. The guys are, they're checking out. You know, well, you get $2 for this and $8 for this. And if you go this, all what happens at two weeks, bi-weekly pay, single pay, all they care about is what's my gross, what's my take home? Because I forget about all the tiers and the structures and all that stuff. Just keep it simple. Yeah, I love that, Carl. I think the first thing that we learned as owners after beating ourselves up was the first time somebody says, all you have to do is, and then they fill in the blank, it's always like, that's not the answer. Uh, if it was, then we'd all switch to the same point of sale system. If it was, we'd buy our parts from the same parts supplier. And you're right. I think that if I want to be an hourly shop with uh, maybe some bonus plans for my my tech, I, I need to tool up for that. Not tool down because I'm flat rate. I don't need to go down. I need to tool up to accommodate that. I, I think that I love these comments that are, that are going off here. They're pretty cool. But ultimately, every time somebody says all you have to do is flat rate or what you need to do is this, is that's not right. I, I think the biggest change for us was being in a completely vulnerable uh, accountability group uh, to where it's not just uh, showing up uh, once a month and saying, yeah, this is where we're at. No, no, no. It, it's vulnerable 365 days a year digitally. People can look, you know, it's trusted people. I think it's really humbling when I'm on a monthly call in our group and I say one thing and somebody goes, no, that's that's not true. Uh, when we did our uh, advisor, we redid our advisor incentive plans and I got super, Carl related, I got super complicated and technical on every little thing. And I remember our group just going, that's way too much information. That's way too much information. They got to have a full-time job just to interpret how much they're going to get paid. And it got down to where it just got smaller for the advisor. It got smaller, it got smaller. And pretty soon we came down to some basic general rule of thumb. Uh, Here's three matrices we want to focus on. And for us, that worked. Finally, it worked. And it was me, I'm the common denominator of just putting all this crazy. And if the wind blows this way, and uh, but if we got seven, seven <laughs> Volvos in there with one EV, you actually get another $3,000 because somehow the business is going to make more money. So I know that's funny, but it's so true. I can imagine you, Jeff, uh, you know, taking this spreadsheet and saying, Ooh, this looks good. I love that. Mm, let's keep going. And just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And I think you said, you know, it, it was brilliant. Hey, listen, I ran up on my group. They called me crazy. And, and they probably saw around the next corner that you didn't. And, you know, going back to Carlo, I got to be a great leader. Well, let me lead someone through this complicated labyrinth of an incentive plan that they'll never understand 
And, you know, I, I, so to your point, hey, um, guys, it, based on what we saw coming out, it's almost like we need to reconvene and, and say, hey, all the fallout came from this. Let's rekindle this. Maybe we'll come back and do a part two. I would like to close with what something Jeff said, and I had it on a, one of the very first podcasts I did with you. If how-tos were enough, we'd all be skinny, rich, and happy. We just go do what somebody else does. I want to have a you know wild and ten romantic, God centered relationship with my significant other. I just go do what somebody else does. I want to have answers to prayers. I just pray like they do. I want to have a successful business. I just do what they do. Problem with how tos is people don't do what they're told, or do what they know they need to do. And hence, now we have this voice from Carlo that, and he's spot on. I got to be a better leader. And the person you need to lead first is yourself. Where in yourself? And ask, this is an honest question. You got, I do this daily. Where in myself do I have scarcity thinking? Where is it that I've limited my understanding of what could be? I've got some incentive plans for advisors. I've got uh, five elements. People say, well, it's a lot. And I go, yeah, but let's start with one. Okay. And now that ran its course, it will produce a certain amount. Now let's introduce level two or element two. You know what? That ran its course. Great. Okay. And now the pay plan becomes stale and it's mundane. And that's why every incentive plan should have some sort of a variable with it. And it's going to be different for every shop. And so it could be a, a monthly, a quarterly, an annual, some sort of a variable goal that makes it fun and enticing. I got this week alone, I had two shops say, hey, yeah, we're closing early at three because we're going to go to a clay pigeon shooting. Got a shop I just talked to this morning. Hey, yeah, we're off at noon. We're going to go clay shooting, pigeon shooting. Awesome. Another one, uh, Carlo knows the shop, you know, Andy, that he took his whole staff out to a go-kart track. That was part of their incentive plan. That was part of their team. They did this team bonding thing. When it's all done, incentive plan is designed to create a hope and future. And it should be have the ability to create connectedness with an individual inside of a team as well. And, and Jeff said it. It just takes time. You got to take the time to put it in and tool it right. Wow. Hey, look, at you are all on fire. Thank you so much, uh, Carlos Zabuco, second generation sales complete auto care center in oakville ontario brand new voice to the podcast jeff grassman from car smart auto service sumner washington and dave shadeen coach and mentor computer computrack i always say that wrong computrack automotive solutions uh guys wow we started a bonfire and it grew thank you thanks for being here thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast Until next time...